0: Hey, y'all, we're back. I got to do a lot of reading here, and I I actually, I do a lot of reading here, and sometimes you're really surprised at some of the shit you see when you get digging into it. And uh, basically, you know, in the spy world, I guess if you can think it out, you can build it, or somebody's going to build it for you. Well, anyway, they have, I got looking at spy guns. And now, the, the Cold War must have been an amazing time to be a weapons manufacturer for the U.S. government. Like some kind of early Tony Stark, or I guess in that case it would be Howard Stark, his dad. Now, if you could dream it up, you could build it, like I just said. And chances are very good that the CIA would fund it for you. From funding LSD tests using prostitutes in their johns to, to secret underground ice bases in Greenland and to try to build an actual flying saucer. There was literally no end to what the CIA would try. Now, what they ended up actually building and then using was much less fun and much more terrifying. We only found out about it because of a fellow named Senator Frank Church who decided to do a little investigating. He was spurred on by the publication of Seymour Hersh's article in the New York Times in December of 1974 the United States Congress decided to look into just what its internal and external intelligence agencies were doing in the name of the American people using their tax dollars. What they found was a trove of illegal and legal methods used by the CIA, NSA, FBI, and even the IRS. Among the abuses of power discovered by the Church Commission was the opening of a domestic mail without warrant and without the Postal Service's knowledge. Widespread access of intelligence had a domestic telecommunication uh, providers and adding Americans to watch lists. Even the Army was spying on American civilians. The most shocking of the Church Commission's findings was the targeted assassination operations the CIA used against foreign leaders. Allegedly, Fidel Castro wasn't the only name on the CIA's list. Congo's Patrice Lubamba, uh, Rafael Trujillo of the Dominican Republic, and General Rene Schneider of Chile were all targets for the CIA-sanctioned killings. Now, believe it or not, Castro alone survived 600 assassination attempts, if you could believe that. Now, the clandestine service had its people researching all sorts of various ways to kill. Now, the CIA soon latched on to poisons. Now, ones that were undetectable and appeared to be uh, to mimic a heart attack. Now they did find it, and a spe- uh, specially designed poison engineered for the CIA. Only a skilled pathologist who uh knew what to look for would ever discover the victim's heart attack wasn't uh, from natural causes. The delivery of the poison, the injection, was in a frozen dart. Now this pistol looked like a 45, like a 1911 with a scope on the top of it. And uh Darts from this new secret assassination gun would penetrate the clothing, and uh, they'd leave only a small red dot. And because the stuff was frozen, it came come out of the gun, and it it, it uh, dissolved. So anyway, it'd leave a red dot on the skin's surface. It kind of looked like a mosquito bite. Now once inside the body, the dart disintegrated, and the frozen poison inside would begin to melt, entering the bloodstream and causing a cardiac episode. Now, this thing was called the heart attack gun. Now, shortly after, the deadly agent denatured quickly and became virtually undetectable. They even bought the gun to show Congress. Now, the Church Commission and its findings caused a massive frenzy in the United States. Now, people became hungry for more and began to get hysterical in the wake of the news. That was about the CIA. In the aftermath of the Church Commission, President Ford, later and then later President Reagan, had to issue executive orders banning the tactics of targeted assassinations by the CIA and other intelligence agencies. What became of this poison dart gun known as the heart attack gun is uh, anyone's guess. There's another one there. It's the OSS had it. It's called the Stinger, the Stinger pen gun. Now, during World War II, the OSS, or Office of Strategic Services, was responsible for coordinating espionage and other secretive missions behind enemy lines. As a result, this organization developed some fascinating weapons and gadgets, often the sort of thing you'd expect to see in a James Bond film. Now, these included covert firearms, explosive devices, and poisons designed to eliminate high-value targets. The weapons developed by the OSS was known as, uh, or one of the weapons developed by the OSS was known as the Stinger and resembled the size of a, and shape of a of a pen. And a, in actuality, it was a covert gun that fired a .22 short. The OSS Stinger was designed for single use and sealed around the cartridge so once it had been fired, it got, had to be disposed of immediately. Now, several variants of where the Stinger were developed throughout the years with reinforcements made to the chamber and firing mechanism to reduce the risk of misfires and damage to the shooter's hand. And in the following, uh, there's a video you can watch, Ian McCollum, uh, of Forgotten Weapons. He uh, examines three variants of the Stinger Pen and, and gives a lot more history to it in greater detail. Check it out. That's Forgotten Weapons. Look it up. It's on YouTube. Anyway, now there was the Kiss of Death. Now, the kiss of death also refers to the lipstick pistol. It's a concealed firearm disguised as a lipstick container, often used by the KGB. It was a single-shot, 4.5-millimeter pistol hidden inside a lipstick container. Now, an example can be found in uh, West Berlin uh, at an American checkpoint that's now held by the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. And uh, Now, there's a story about this EVA Uh, Tatiana uh, often carried these things around as well as an identical lipstick container in case she wanted to uh, bluff someone into spilling their guts. Now, when GRU Colonel Yevgeny Boriskinovich uh, Volgan first met Tatiana near the end of the uh, virtuous mission, Volgan noticing that she was holding something in her hand, forced her to hand it over, and discovered that she had a kiss of death. And because of its usage within the KGB, its, discovered, its discovery resulted in a major ocelot immediately accusing Tatiana of being a KGB agent, as the KGB and the GRU were not on friendly uh, terms at the time. So although Volgan uh, gave it back to her, as he saw some use for her later, and uh, later she used her <laughs> identical lipstick container to bluff Dr. Nikolai Sokolov into revealing where the uh, philosopher's legacy was, or, at the very least, who knew where the legacy was. Tatiana later revealed as Ava uh, later attempted to use it on Colonel Volgan upon her identity being compromised, only for him uh, to snatch it away. And the rest is history. So many stories. Anyway, there's another one here. It's called the uh, Sedly Sedgley, OSS-38. Now, Sedgley OSS-38 gloved pistol or a Sedgley fist gun is uh, a World War II firearm. It was designed by Stanley M. Haight and uh, manufactured by Sedgley Company of Philadelphia for the U.S. Marines and the U.S. Navy. Its official uh, designation by the U.S. Navy was Hand Firing Mechanism Mark II. Now the Sedgley OSS is a single-shot, uh, break-action, smoothbore .38 pistol, which was designed by Stanley M. Haight uh, for the na- uh, for the Naval Intelligence Service, and it was uh, meant uh, as a covert ops and assassination weapon in the Pacific Theater. It was mounted on the back of a cowhide leather glove, looked like a work glove, and would be usually worn with a long sleeve coat uh, that's to hide the weapon until it was used due to its appearance it was commonly nicknamed the blood pist- uh, the glove pistol or the glove gun. The trigger was a bar parallel to the barrel and it was uh, a bit longer and If you made a fist this it looked like a plunger and once you punch somebody with it, it, it the rest is history so so to speak after being loaded and cocked. The weapon was fired by the shooter, like I said, making a fist and pressing the trigger against the target's body. In other words, it was that plunger just above the barrel and longer than the barrel. When you hit him with this thing, it pushed the plunger back and fired it. So the plunger was actually a trigger. Now, between uh, 52 and 200 are believed to have been manufactured. Each Sedgley was used uh, issued only as one glove, not as a pair. Now, I think that would be cu- cool if you have one in each hand, you know, kind of. Old one, two, so to speak, but uh, as World War II history buff, uh, that scene, uh, the 2009 Quentin Tarantino film *Inglorious Bastards*, I have seen it. It's a good movie. Uh, I would describe the plot of the film as highly entertaining, but not quite historically accurate. With that said, *Inglorious Bastards* is the only place you see the obscure, uh, the obscure but very real Sedgley OSS uh, 38 uh, glove pistol in action. Now they were Army. And it was only sent out to the Marines and the Navy. But if if you've seen the movie, uh, the gun was used by Sergeant Donowitz and Private Omar to kill two SS uh, men guarding Hitler and Goebbels, Private Box at the cinema. Now, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, the last uh, sentence probably left you scratching your head. The glove gun was designed by the Office of Naval Intelligence and manufactured by the Sedgley Company of Philadelphia and used by the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS. The weapon was designated as an assassination pistol. It uh, consists of a heavy, high glove, la, la la la, like we said. And uh, it's activated by first punching the guy and in the intended target on which the gun goes on. Now, there's one in uh, the museum. Now, so how did these army guys with a tank get hold of it? Anyway, so there's a problem. Anyway, the gun glove uh, in the museum collection was uh, that's sitting at it was donated by a Robert Ramirez, uh, whose father-in-law Lawrence Nye, uh Nai Hannah was a naval officer with Beach Jumpers uh, Unit Seven, uh, and uh, Beach Jumpers were highly specialized units whose job was to uh, simulate amphibious landings designed to lure the divert the enemy attention away from the actual landing beaches miles away. Beach jumpers were the brainchild of the Hollywood actor and Navy Reserve Officer Douglas Fairbanks Jr., who had witnessed similar tactics employed by the British commandos while on assignment with Lord Louis Montalban's staff in England. Now, they were all issued these glove guns. Now, Hannah was issued a glove gun with the instructions that it be used in the event that his boat was boarded by the enemy. With his hands raised above his head, and so to surrender, they couldn't see, uh, be able to see that the glove was actually a weapon. The enemy came in range. Hannah was to strike him in the head. Lucky for the animo, uh, enemy, Hannah's boat was never boarded. But that's what it was supposed to be. They'd go behind enemy lines with this thing. You'd have it on in a glove. If the guy got too close enough, you just punched him in the face and shot him. But anyway, some of the stuff, that I found tons of it. And uh, at another time, I'll have to bring some of it out. and then We'll just go through it. There was some nasty stuff that they brought up. But anyway, until next time, y'all be good. If you've got any bitches, gripes, or complaints, send us an email at yahoo.com. That's G-U-N-S-M, smoke, at yahoo.com, all lowercase. So in techs- until next time, y'all take care.